This next subject will be of interest to many of you because we are becoming more aware of the extent our well-being is connected to our environment. Scientists and policymakers are now using the term One Health for this. And with us in studio today is General Manager of AgriAware, Amy Gray. Amy and her colleagues have been looking specifically at the impact of birds on human health. Amy, you're very welcome to the programme. Hi, Derek. Thanks for having me. Tell us about your research. Um, myself and my colleagues recently published an article on the relationship between birds and human health. Um, we've been working on this research for about two years, but the inception of the idea started probably a decade ago when I started in UCD. Um, these days, I work as the general manager in AgriAware, which is an agri-food education mm-hmm. body. And we're all about public engagement in science and in research related to the food system. Nile. Amy, I've been a bird watcher for as long as I can remember, ever since I was a very, very small child. And I'm a firm believer that watching birds and being in nature certainly makes me feel better. It's hard for me to quantify it, but certainly I know that it reduces my stress. Uh, it makes me feel good about myself and it's a great way to d- get diversion in life as well. But from a more, I suppose, scientific basis, what do birds do for us? So my colleagues and I recently published an article um, entitled Birds and Human Health Pathways for a Positive Relationship. So what we did was essentially develop a new framework to explain how birds contribute to our health. And we've called these health services and categorised them into six specific categories to be able to describe exactly how they benefit us. What are those six different categories? I'll detail first the first category, which is psychological benefits. So an example of this in the psychological benefits area would be, like you said at the start, people enjoy listening to birds and there is actual science behind it to say that birds can make people feel calm after bird encounters. Stress levels are reduced and they make people feel joyful. So that would be the first category of psychological benefits. Then we look at the physiological benefits. There are many people across the world who rely on wild birds for their nutritional benefits. So that, of course, has a physiological logical benefit. The third category then is infectious disease risk reduction. So you can actually monitor wild bird populations to determine human disease risk. Um, The fourth category is tangible materials, so anything you can physically touch. So people might harvest birds for meat, they might harvest their eggs, their nests. A lot of this um, can actually relate to people's spiritual benefits that they derive for that. So birds can be used in spiritual rituals. So again, that's tangible materials. Then the next category after that is non-material goods. So this would be, say, bird watching or anything that doesn't involve extracting birds from their environment. And then the final category is related to ecosystem support services. So they would be the types of things that we're more used to, say, seed dispersal or pollination or pest control or any of these classical examples of how we know birds support our ecosystems. So really very diverse. There's lots of different things going on there. I'm sure that some of those must be easier to quantify than others. Some of them are quite intangible. How do you put, uh, let's say, a value on that or scoring on that benefit? So what we did is we looked at the One Health concept. So the One Health concept at its core, it identifies the interconnectedness between humans, animals and their ecosystems and their environment. So in order for one particular element or interface to be healthy, we have to look at the whole picture. So using this One Health concept, it recognises that we need to learn from each other and accept that there is a connection between these different elements. So One Health 
at its core encourages interdisciplinary action and it encourages collaboration and data sharing. So if you look at something like zoonotic disease, there is a very obvious link between humans and animals and the environment because, of course, with zoonotic diseases, that means that the disease is transferring from animals over to humans and it's spilling over into a different population. So you can naturally see that there's a connection there and there's a relationship that needs to be looked at. Um, so this is kind of the idea that we borrowed to be able to explain how birds actually benefit our human health and the categories that I illustrated earlier detail the health services across a multitude. Further to that, we had split it into direct relationships with ill health and indirect relationships with ill health. So say zoonotic disease, that's a direct relationship with ill health, as you can see that ill health transforms from being impacted by a disease. But then the more indirect side of things would be, say, um, how people, you know, the spiritual ritual and things that I was talking about. It's not naturally related to ill health, but of course, you have to allow people to express freedom of spirituality or religion or whatever makes them feel good in their daily um, lives for their well-being. Is there a negative side there as well? Like, could there be in some way these, this be some negative sort of mentality for people? Some of these spiritual um, rituals and so on are not necessarily always beneficial. Uh, I think it depends on, it definitely depends on an individual. And that is where there is difficulty when straightforward trying to explain how birds benefit human health. Um, if you, we did... Um, acknowledge that there's disservices from birds and specifically health disservices but and, and one example of this would be say avian influenza the spillover from humans or from birds to humans it's rare but it does happen so we did acknowledge those disservices and I think maybe you were also asking about whether or not it's good to allow people to express certain spiritual elements if they're going to be negative for birds. Is that what you were asking? Uh, that's an aspect of it, yes. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's something that's very important to address. So one example of, say, the spiritual benefits um, that we would have identified and, be, and we categorized into tangible materials would be, say, people harvesting birds for uh, traditional medicine purposes. So naturally, they're extracting birds or their nests or their eggs from the environment, which is counterproductive for conservation. But you can't necessarily just say that people shouldn't do that because they should be allowed freedom to express their own spiritual beliefs. So it can get very complicated when trying to create a conservation argument when we're well aware that that is negative or counterproductive for conservation. So there's a lot of um, intricacies at work. And again, that's why the One Health concept is so important because naturally we in the West maybe would put, put bans in place and say you shouldn't extract birds or you shouldn't do this, especially if they're endangered species. But then again, at the same time, we're probably moving more into a sustainable use mm. argument these days. So to sustainably use biodiversity and wildlife rather than just restricting people from using them because that's a lot more realistic and it's probably going to get us a lot further in the biodiversity crisis than just putting bans in place. I suppose that approach as well, with getting more buy-in from local communities and from nations as well, it leads to, if it's unright, it leads to habitat protection and the promotion of biodiversity. Absolutely. And that is, that's kind of the basis for 
um, this um, article that we published. So the idea came about from having multiple conversations with friends and with colleagues and how do you actually get public buy-in? How do you get people to care about biodiversity? And if you can go as far as to say they're good for our health, that's a very powerful argument, not only for the individual, but for policymakers as well, because we've moved very much into a problem-solving type structure. And even these days with research, unless you're solving a problem, you're unlikely to be able to get funding. Mm. Um, And that is also due to the fact that we are in a climate crisis, we are in a biodiversity crisis, and we need to use our resources very wisely. Um, So that's why research like this is very important, because you can actually use these arguments as tools to promote conservation rather than just citing, you know, the greater good. People used to talk all the time about, you know, you should protect biodiversity just because you should, and often for the individual Mm. in particular, that's not strong enough. You have to know why you're protecting it. Exactly. And that is kind of the crux of of why this research is so important. Uh, Was the research your idea or did somebody say to go out and do this because we need this in our armoury? It developed out of, I guess, probably 10 years ago when I did my master's in UCD in the School of Agriculture. Um, My master's was in biodiversity conservation and I cared a lot about biodiversity, but I would have a lot of friends who would care very little. And Mm. I just went about... um, I guess the social science side of things and behavioural change and how do you actually get people to change behaviours and how you do that is getting individuals to have meaning behind their actions. Did you find it frustrating that your friends didn't care as much as you did? Yes, absolutely. Um, The greater good argument is good enough for me, but it's not good enough for everyone. Well, Um, you're a scientist, you see. You understand it. Exactly. And I currently work in the area of public engagement. And although my background, yes, is straightforward science, I mostly now work in the area of trying to translate that scientific knowledge into simple, um, simple concepts and simple ideas so that everybody can understand. So what's so important to me about science and research is that because, because it's publicly funded in many instances, the public has the right to know. And I think a lot of people can kind of, you know, throw their hands up and say, you know, I'm not that interested. But it depends on how you're putting that research out there. You need to be able to explain it to people yeah. in layman's terms to get them to care. Otherwise, well, you're doing a very good job. I appreciate that, Derek. Thank and we're you. delighted to have you here. Richard? Yes, the great divide between the arts and the sciences. It seems to me that on this subject, the arts win hands down. Derek, cast your mind back to when we went to The Hague to interview the curator of the Van Gogh Museum yes. about wheat field with crows. Mm-hmm. Think of what that painting would look like had Van Gogh not put in the crows. The thing would be empty and dead. And if we exclude nature and exclude birds and their sounds, the place becomes impoverished. We become depressed immediately. It's Even if not everybody points. likes the sound the crows make. <laughs> uh, no, it's but the imagery. It's there. Pres- they're there. They're represented. It, it is. It's, it's the presence. We're not alone. They are with us. They're a company. There's something like that. And the great poets knew that. You'd think of Keats's Nightingale and Shelley's Skylark and musicians too. The first uh, On Hearing the First Cuckoo in Spring by Friedrich Delius. Or Beethoven felt he required to put in the the cuckoo, the quail and the nightingale into his pastoral symphony. It is terribly important. Nature, these things aren't, birds are not birds to us. 
They are archetypes. They are features of our minds. We have transformed them into great cultural and psychological icons, I believe. Richard, it sounds like to me that you would be happy with the greater good argument and we should protect them because we like them and that's enough for you. But I might just use an example to kind of illustrate how when birds left a gap within the ecosystem, it caused a a real human health crisis. So some of you might be familiar with the Indian vulture crisis. So back in the 90s, um, vultures who were obligate scavengers, that's how they get their nutrition, they scavenge. Um, they were scavenging on dead cattle that had been treated with a drug called diclofenac. And diclofenac is an anti-inflammatory drug that when this when the scavengers consumed the carcasses, um, they were poisoned and they died. So ultimately there was a collapse in the Indian vulture population. And what happened at the same time as this is that medical doctors noticed that there was an increase in human rabies incidences. They didn't know that these were connected at the time, but as it transpired, they were able to paint a picture of exactly how this happened. And what happened was when the vultures were gone, there was a gap in that scavenging behaviour. And what came in to fill that gap were stray dogs that were infected with rabies. Naturally, when you have humans interacting more with stray dogs, there's going to be an increase in dog bites. And this then led to an increase in human rabies incidences. So this was a completely unforeseen externality of the loss of vultures. Um, And it really nicely illustrates how birds can have a real impact on disease and ill health. And on top of that as well, it, it strengthens the argument for scavengers as a whole, which are usually a group that are underappreciated. You, you mentioned that they're underappreciated. I think that's exactly the phrase for it because I think birds are very often taken for granted. We get these benefits, especially ecosystem benefits and agri-environment benefits. We just take them you know, as given because they're mostly for free. I, I would assume, for example, that birds must do a huge service throughout the world in reducing deaths from malaria, for example, by eating so many vast quantities of mosquitoes. If they were to disappear, we would have a catastrophe on our hands. Is that a big barrier? Do you think we have to find a way to make people care more about birds and wider biodiversity? Definitely. And I think this is a a good basis. So these six categories that we have presented, so it would allow other researchers to potentially explore other taxes, maybe biodiversity as a whole. So we definitely think of this as a a starting point and um, helping other researchers to contribute in this particular space. Because as I illustrated with the Indian vulture crisis, we really often don't know the impact that biodiversity or birds in this instance actually have until they're gone and then it's too late. Thankfully, the Indian vultures, their populations have recovered, but this is not always the case. Um, so definitely there's, there's space for so much more work in this particular area. Richard, what do you think of Amy's research? Well, I think it's excellent. It's very necessary. It's, it's, it, we have to develop it further. And this is a terribly important subject. It's crucial that we, we develop this to its fullest extent so that people realise what they're missing. We are now killing the world. The world is heading back to an inorganic state. If we keep going like this, it will be a dead planet one day again. Nuclear weapons and, and over-exploitation of resources and global warming. The whole thing is heading downhill. We need to arrest that and birds and animals will help us. Our appreciation of them, our response to them, will. they are propagandists for uh, change. You're nodding your head in agreement there, Amy. I am. Um, you were making me, make, making me think a lot about um, 
yeah, how do we leverage conservation? And I guess if we take it back to the science and the the work that we were looking at, um, a lot of the challenges lie with you know, getting scientific consensus on whether or not birds or biodiversity actually contribute to human health. So one of the areas that is quite difficult is psychological health. So what we were talking about earlier, birds um, evoking positive feelings, making people feel happy and this having a a positive effect on their mental health. A lot of this research is self-reported. So it's coming from an individual who's saying, I feel joyful after a bird But they did some work on that during COVID, as I understand it. The RSPB in Britain conducted a survey ahead of their big garden bird watch and they found that two thirds of the people polled, something like 64 or 5% felt watching birds and hearing bird song added to their enjoyment of life, particularly during that stressful period. Definitely. And there is absolute merit there for an awful lot of people. But I guess we have to be mindful that not every single individual feels the same way. And that was something that kind of came out in the research as well. So there would be disservices related to certain birds. So say crows or corvids, Hmm. they don't make a very pleasant sound. So can we wholly accept that all birds and encounters with them are positive for our mental health? And it just comes to that kind of self-reported area. Each individual is different and we can't completely, without reservation, say that, yes, they do. And that creates difficulty. Well, you started the conversation. Absolutely. I mean, I think a good example of that would be while a lot of people report enjoying the dawn chorus, there are some people there who hate being woken up by the birds first thing. <laughs> That's and it true. has a negative effect on them. <laughs> yeah, I forgot um, about that. And of course, we're very biased on our programme because we're such dawn chorus fans. But I think, you know, I think birds are a very good place to start here because they're one of the most accessible forms of wildlife that we have. People tend to be more well disposed towards birds in general than to, let's say, the creepy crawlies and so on. But is there also a danger there that, but it, you know, in trying to commodify nature in this way or trying to portray it in that, in that manner, that it's much harder to do with, with species like ants or beetles or bacteria. Um, you know, what would you think of that? Yeah, definitely. The other people in other disciplines looking at different taxa have a greater challenge, I think, than mm. birds. Birds are very well liked and very mm. well appreciated. And also for myself, the study that we did was, you know, a, a scoping study of the literature. So that meant that we were using a lot of secondary data to come up with our arguments. But it meant that birds are very well researched. There's a lot of research put into birds. So we had a lot of literature to look at, whereas with other disciplines it might be more difficult to look at the health benefits if there's less research. Well, it's great to have you in, Amy. Thank you very much indeed. And more details, as always, can be found on our website, rte.ie forward slash